1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You are about to listen to episode 3 of the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and yours truly, Eric Newman. Ironically, we recorded this show just before the Kristaps Porzingis rumors really started to heat up and before the blockbuster trade that sent him to the Dallas Mavericks. We did release a quick hitter featuring myself and Adam Stanko breaking down the move, how it plays into free agency and all else. Look for that where you get your podcasts and this show and enjoy BJ Armstrong and I up next with episode three before the Porzingis deal happened. Enjoy. Episode three, the Pure Hoops podcast. BJ, we made it to the third show. I am uh, in... Sub-Zero New York City, and wishing I was with you out in L.A. How are we doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing great. Uh, it is a little cold up there in the Midwest. I'm family and people up there in the Midwest, back east. So uh, you guys stay warm up there, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's that time of the year.
1: You know what's not cold? The NBA rumor mill, thanks to Anthony Davis. Pure Hoops podcast, getting into it right now. Check ball.
0: The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect
1: the views of our management. Here's three time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops podcast is brought to you by Pure Hoops Media. BJ and I are here chopping it up every Friday. We also have two other weekly shows Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko drops every Wednesday. Pure Hoops Media also presents the Wise-Ass show featuring Mike Wise. The Wise-Ass drops in for his weekly visit on Mondays. Mike's guest this coming Monday will be former Phoenix Suns general manager Ryan McDonough as they discuss strategy heading into the trade deadline on February 7th. Please subscribe to all three shows and tell your friends. They'll thank you, and so will we. All right, BJ. It's funny... We say this all the time. There's never a shortage of news. There's never a shortage of things to talk about. You know, I mean, we, we started talking Boston-LA rivalry because of the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. It always goes back to basketball. We'll get to that in a moment, but uh, this is going to be obviously a show uh, mainly about all aspects of this Anthony Davis news. So uh, before I start... Throwing different things at you and we start uh, popping this ball back and forth. Uh, Did you, did you have a feeling this was coming pre deadline or did this take you by surprise in terms of the timing in which uh, Rich Paul and clutch sports. And of course, Anthony said uh, we're not re-upping in 2020. Uh, We'd like to, we'd like to work out a trade.
0: Well, that's a very complicated question um, for me, but the the short answer is no. Um, As an agent, You know, if I'm finding out news via social media or, you know, from people in the business, then I'm really not doing my job. That's the agent side of me. So, uh, this was no shocker to myself. And I'm going to assume other agents in the business, since that's my job. I have 30 people that I need to speak with, meaning the 30 teams and the owners and the executives in this league to make sure that I have, you know, a pretty good idea of how things could come out and kind of hear them before they actually happen. So this wasn't news in this world. I think it was probably news to the general public. Um, um, And it made certainly some waves throughout the NBA circle. But I think to many of us who are in this business and this profession, I think we all kind of saw the writing or at least potential possibility uh, of something could happen and uh, knowing that the deadline is coming. Um, this is really no shocker to us in, this, in these circles.
1: So let me ask you before we delve into the depths of this, your history, your time in the game, player, executive, agent, I mean, we've seen the uh, The players, of course, over time take control and the power over where uh, they want to play, and obviously free agency is a a world of its own outside of what goes goes on on the court, of course. Has there ever been a situation like this where a talent this coveted, uh, this valued, has... Gone about this situation in this way, meaning this far ahead of time, we've seen it with deadlines approaching. We've seen it in the year of, but you know, this is the this is the 2019 deadline, not the 2020 deadline. This is this is two playoff runs ahead. Is, does anything come to mind from your end?
0: Well, in, you know. For better or for worse, I, I've had an opportunity to see this league from a lot of different perspectives. Being an ex-player, I saw it from there. I saw it as an ex-executive. Now I'm seeing it as an agent, and I, I feel I have a pretty good understanding of. Uh, even though I've never coached at that level, you know, as an executive, you have to see it from the coach's perspective many times because, you know, you're you know coaching a player, is different than you know, being the general manager and working with the player from that perspective. So um I, I think I've I have a pretty good feel for it. I, I think this is just part of this generation. I, I remember when Kobe Bryant uh wanted to be moved and clearly, you know, players like Shaquille O'Neal have been moved. Um, you know, at the time he was Lou El Kareem Abdul Jabbar moved. Um so yes great players you know have moved around and will continue to move around that's 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 the beauty of the sport so it's just always a surprise when it happens and you see it because our immediate question is why you know why 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 like what's going on and I think it's it's kind of an exciting thing to hear the rumors and get all the rumors but players are going to move, you know, Kevin Durant moved um, and and there'll be more players, you know, Paul George. I mean, you, you, you'll continue and you'll always have player movement in this league and especially in basketball.
1: For sure. For sure. So before we, we've got a, we've got a number of perspectives here. I want to, I want to go at it from the agent perspective first. What, what is, what is the leverage play here? In terms of this far ahead, obviously there's the clutch sports, LeBron James, L.A. Laker factor. There's, you know, getting Anthony on to a uh, a, a contender and somewhere where he wants to grow both as a player and an off-court commodity. Um, What's the agent strategy in your mind of the timing and just how all of this works. Well,
0: you know, uh, I, I can only speak on my behalf. You know, I, I, I look at this as an agent in this profession. So here's the leverage. You have a year and a half left on your contract before you become an unrestricted free agent. That's it. It's, to me, this is very simple. You know, I, I, as an agent, as someone has been in this business, I don't have time to deal anymore with rumors or opinions and all of those things. I have to deal with the facts. He has a year and a half left on his contract. That's it. Now, that's where you start if you want to know the facts of what the situation is. And then you move from there. All the other things to me is just background noise because that's the situation that everyone is going to have to deal with, the team, the league, player, agent, whoever is involved in this, media, everyone is going to have to deal with that. This kid is going to be, and can be, if they so desire to be in New Orleans until the 2019, 2020 season. And then, you can make whatever decision you want to make but until then what else is there really to talk about and, and I think that probably is what I've learned over the years as an agent is you deal with the facts you deal with the the reality of the situation I don't have time to deal with hypotheticals I don't have time to deal with my opinion or your opinion I have to deal with the facts and then make the highest recommendation to get the results that we're looking to get so that is what we're dealing with and I guess that'll be a great starting point for us to say, okay, what happens in between? Then, hey, uh, only the the ownership of the Pelicans can tell you that, and uh, I think Miss Benson, I think that's her name, uh, will will know that. Uh, you know, what 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 can you do? At this
1: point? So, regarding perfect segue, regarding the Pelicans, the front office ownership, do they have do they have leverage? At this point, do they have leverage in, in what they want to do? Or is this just creating a, 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 a mountain here, here of headaches?
0: The here are the levers. You know, the they agree to uh, a contract, you know, and everyone fulfills their need. I mean, fulfills their part of the contract. Right. The contract ends in 1920. <laughs> this is the 1819 season. So what what? What's the hurry? Like what wh- what 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 is the what 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 is the the power play? What is the movement? The young man is signed there or under contract until next year. That's a fact. Now, all of the other things okay, if we want to if we want to discuss it, let's discuss it, but the truth of it is that's what we're dealing with and he's earned the right no one's never said he hasn't earned the right to become an unrestricted free agent and he can make whatever choice he wants and every player every person that you know that, that has a job they, you it, once you fulfill your duty in the contract or what was agreed upon you've earned that right so I, I i don't have a problem with it i don't think he has a problem with it um i'm sure the team understands that so Okay, let's let's play it out and and see what happens. Now, all the other stuff. Okay, I I don't I, I don't get what really the the big spill is because these things are very complicated when you have players of this magnitude, contracts and 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 moving players around. It's not it's not that easy. And certainly with the player, you want to get equal value and compensation and all those things. So. I, I think the ownership has. They're the only ones that can provide that answer. Um, what was done? What was said? Was done. I don't know if who has leverage and what leverage, but clearly, if they choose not to cho- try to trade them, what can he do? What What can he do? So I'm looking at.
1: It's funny. We I just got a, uh, you know, one of my. Uh, 1100 alerts that i'll get today about this on uh on my cell and uh you know Woj reporting lakers and pelicans talking that's that's major news as we know um so i put the nuggets pelicans game on last night and you know obviously anthony davis still out of the lineup after the the finger injury but thinking to myself you know when this guy is healthy to play if he's not dealt before the deadline do you do you sit him do you play him i mean he's a commodity this is a business he's got to be kept healthy so the pelicans get most in return and obviously davis wants to go to a destination that uh he wants to stay at long term so you know how do you see this playing out with him either being on and off the court uh as a pelican
0: you know i try to be very respectful because you know sports is a very interesting It's it's a very interesting profession because we have our our emotions are evolved. You know, I'm, I'm a Detroit native, so I root for the Detroit teams. I grew up there. I root for the Pistons to this day. I root for the Lions. I, I root for them from the perspective of a fan. And I'm always getting teased about being a Lions fan, right? Because, you know, we haven't had a lot of success up there, but you know what, I'm from Detroit. And, you know, it's just a it's a it's a feel good thing. You know, I'm from Detroit. It's It's like this pride of being from Detroit. Working in sports and playing professionally. You know, I didn't grow up in Chicago. I didn't have an attachment to the Chicago Bulls when I was drafted there. It was clearly I was drafted there and I learned to have an appreciation for the city. I learned about the history of the Bulls. I learned about what it meant to play in Chicago and the culture, and the fabric of the city there. But I also understood that it was a business, and at any moment, you know, you could be moved or traded or what have you. You know, it goes back to the to your question. You know, it's business, and what Anthony and and, and what transpired in that situation there only they can answer that right you know and i'm very respectful to other people and how they do their business because i'm not pretending to know that business so i don't i can't comment on it in my opinion my humble opinion is you know what it is what it is and as an agent i've learned just as i learned as a as a player as i learned as a as an executive is that. If you're gonna be great at your job, you you have to learn how to solve unsolvable problems, okay? You have to learn how to deal with situations that probably doesn't have a solution, but I was hired, especially as an agent, to deal with something. Someone doesn't wanna be in a place. Let's say I have client client that doesn't wanna be there. My job is to get this client to the understanding of how to get this done to get the results that you wanna get. Now, my way of doing it may be different than another agent's way, but in the end, you just want the results. So, you know, I want to be respectful of what has done and why they did it. That's that's on them. What I do know is that that team, and we talk about leverage and is he going to play, hey, that's their choice. You know, I don't look at this as, 30 different teams. I look at this as just one league because they're sharing revenue. And when I say they, the owners are sharing revenue. Okay? So I don't look at I don't get into the fan perspective anymore and I and and I have to constantly remind myself because you know, fans are going to be listening to this show and I I got to be careful not to jade them to what this really is. It's a business. This is it's 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 clearly a business. And whether he plays in wherever city outside of New Orleans, every owner, all the 30 owners are gonna share in the same revenue. So I don't even look at it anymore as, you know, teams winning and losing. It's a business that has been created, organized in a way that they can totally share in revenue no matter what's going on in what city. So I just look at it from the business that it is. And some of those owners that are in this league are some of my best friends. And it's important that me as an agent see the world from Adam Silver's perspective, that I see this world from the owner's perspective, that I see the world from the player. And then you try to come up with a solution where it's a win-win from everyone involved. Because clearly they all need each other to continue in this generation of revenue that they've been able to create. Um and they all will benefit as long as they find a way to you know cooperate with each other. And that is to me that's the solution. So I just look at it as one league and everyone's trying to figure out their place in it and figure out how to continue to grow this because it's been a great business for a lot of dip, uh, for a lot of people in a lot of different capacities. And I respect that about this about this business that I've chosen to be in.
1: And you know, that perspective is one that because of the popularity of the sport, both in the US and globally, is it's such a unique one compared to, of course, the millions of fans and those who watch games consistently Uh-oh. and consume content like this. So it's Yes. It's it's obviously, you know, Really interesting hearing that from your side and people do forget that, you know, as great as whatever team may be, this is still a league and the league must be in the right place for everybody to to feel.
0: The one fascinating thing that I've been so fortunate in, in to, to participate in this league is, I sat beside for many years, perhaps the greatest player to play as a player. And certainly he's one of the greatest. You know, he was, and he was a pro's pro, and I'm speaking of Michael Jordan. I sat beside him as a player, and I saw the world as a role player myself. I saw the world from a star player, the, star, the brightest star. And then I find it fascinating that this star player, who was, you know, it's well documented. I mean, clearly he was paid very well to do his job. Right. From a lot of different companies that he represented, that he endorsed um, and, and this league. And he's made a lot of he made this league a lot of money. He's made, you know, shoe companies, so forth. It's well documented. But I find it fascinating that this same star player now is an owner in the league. And then we're talking about. You know, star players, you know, that were back then in the 90s, the 80s, and the 90s, and then what does it mean to be a star player now? And then I also find it fascinating that you hear so many players say that they want to become owners (laughs) in the league. (laughs) Okay? I find this world fascinating. It's because everyone says a lot of different things, but we quickly forget that how many of these players all say, yeah, someday I want to own a team. Or someday I want to be an executive in this league, or someday I want to coach in this league. And I so so what so what makes you so what makes
1: you laugh? What's the first thing that comes to your mind that makes you laugh when you hear that? What
0: makes me what what makes me laugh is that the so-called player that we say is the greatest player now is negotiating against us, and I say us, the players in the collective bargaining agreement. And this is the same player who was fighting for all of the rights of the players because clearly he benefited the most. (laughs) <laughs> from <laughs> from having an agreement that favored the players because he would stand that that was in his best interest. So I find it fascinating that you know we have all of these different interests and and what I mean by that is, you know, th- there's four people that in every organization that have to sit down and have to figure out how to work to each other with each other. You got to have the owner you got to have the executive, the GM, you got to have the head coach and you got to have the player. If one of those four people aren't on the same page, it's a disaster. It's a it's a total disaster. And anyone who's played in that league will tell you it's hard enough to play 82 games and you have an opportunity to win those games, let alone if you're losing and and you have people who are bickering about certain different things. So, learning how to cooperate with people in an organization is of the absolute essence if you're gonna be in that league and have a chance to win let alone win talent alone is not going to win in that league okay you got to have leadership you have to have people who can help you get organized you got to have all these different things and it's fun to talk about why this team is good and what they need to do but when you peek behind the curtain and you see teams who are winning you, you, you got to look at how they communicate and cooperate with each other to even have a chance to win. And that is organizational culture. Well, we, we call it organizational culture and all those things. But truly, there's only the, 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 the tough part about retiring as a being an ex player is I know if I was still playing, I could go out there and have a direct effect on the outcome of a game. As an executive, as an owner, as a coach, there's nothing you can do. (laughs) What are you going to do? You put together a great game plan as a coach. The guys don't go out and execute it or they don't buy into it. There's nothing you can do. The only group, if you will, the player is the only one that can have a direct effect on the outcome of a game. You play bad today, you got another game tomorrow, you can have a direct outcome. You can, you can affect the outcome. What, what are you going to do as a general manager? What are you going to do as an owner? There's nothing you can do. So, again, the level of communication that's required to even have a chance, I'm not saying that's even going to solve it. It's very hard in this league, and it's very difficult in this league to win. So when I see what I, things that I see, I go, it's hard enough. If you everyone's communicating with each other, let alone if you find one of those entities that doesn't get along with the other entity, and it's just and it just makes it more complicated as you uh, you know you're in professional sports.
1: We'll get into more organizations specifically in terms of how they deal with Anthony Davis and potentially acquiring him in a moment. Time for a word from Pure Hoops Media. You're listening to the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and me, Eric Newman. Our Wednesday show is Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. Those guys are not only great basketball minds, they are master storytellers. Each Monday, we have a fresh version of the Wise Ass Show with legendary basketball journalist Mike Wise. Mike's guest this upcoming Monday will be Ryan McDonough, the former Phoenix Suns GM, who will break down who's doing what and why as the NBA trade deadline approaches on February 7th. Please subscribe, rate us, and enjoy. All right, so we're talking AD. Uh, I think your insight is is really interesting on organizations. And, um, you know, it's funny you talk about owners and GMs and coaches once that ball goes up. And it's like, you know, how they manage their stress when they have no control. And, and I can't imagine how that is um, as someone who played and then, Got into got into management, and we see so many ex players in that now. Um, so, you know, this is ironic: Patriots, Rams, Boston, LA coming up in the Super Bowl. You shared some great reflections on that rivalry last week. Obviously, uh, you know, if people listening to this know know me, they know I'm a Celtics fan, and and you realize that after now. But I'm not <laughs> uh, I'm not holding my breath here on this happening. Uh, I know better than that. But isn't it ironic that the Celtics and Lakers are, you know, gonna be clashing over this and and, and trying to trying to figure out how to get this guy? I, I just find it I find the irony incredible, especially with LeBron with the Lakers and Kyrie with the Celtics. So if you are the Pelicans, what do you need in return from the Lakers? to make this deal before the deadline on February 7th.
0: Well, I, I, again, I look. Okay, this league is about again and and, and I you know, I I try to and taking into account the fan perspective. And those are that's fun to talk about. What are the Lakers? Whether he'll go to the Lakers or whether he'll go to the Celtics. The truth of it is, I don't think he goes to either one of those teams. And the reason being, and the reason being, it's very simple. But it's simple to me. But again, I don't know anything. I don't know, and I'm not pretending to know. But what I do know is that these owners are they they're not in this business to appease fans or social media or opinions of others. If you're gonna build a team, okay? If we're gonna build a team, it's important for us, these basketball people, these, I call them basketball lifers, right? To understand what this business, the process and the, 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 the thing that we have gave a term to, the process is a very important thing for us to, to, to recall of what we've come to understand about professional sports, in particular basketball. The process is important because that was the first time that a team admitted that they were going to go through the draft to secure the best picks that they can possibly build to have a long-term effect on their team and to be able to put together a team in which they could keep the team, okay? It's, it's almost impossible to build a team through free agency, Because you, 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 how are you going to build a team that way? Okay, you have. Let's say you did have LeBron in free agency. You get another one. How much more money are you going to have for the other twelve or thirteen guys on the roster? It's almost impossible. So the process is important because you can sign that, you can draft that player, and then you can keep that player because the rules allow you to do that in the collective bargaining agreement. The reason that the Warriors are so far ahead of everyone is because they were able to draft three of their top four players. And people have to remember that you have a two-time MVP who at one point in his career didn't know if his career could continue because he was signed for about $10 or $11 million because he had an ankle injury. So this is what we we, we, – As an agent, I can't afford to be a fan because I have to understand how these teams are being built. Steph Curry was playing at like 10 or 11 million dollars, and that's a lot of money, don't get me wrong. But that is a value if you have a player who's performing like Steph Curry was performing at at those numbers. Now, that's what allowed them to get or have even the money to even go out into free agency. They drafted him, they drafted Clay. then they drafted Draymond Green, which gave them a foundation to be able to not only have a good team, but to maintain and continue this team. You just can't put together a team this way without doing it through the draft. And the process is important. So when I look at teams saying who's going to get Anthony Davis and who's going to do that, okay, that sounds great, that sounds good, but how are you going to build a team, people? You, you, it's impossible. It doesn't. It doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because you can't. You don't have enough money to put the other pieces around them w- without you doing it in the draft.
1: So for I I love the Warriors' point you make, and and obviously Steph and the contract, Clay Draymond, the the ability to bring in KD, though it has cost them some depth, but up until this point it hasn't cost them the ultimate which is winning the title two in a row with Durant but we are in this super team era and
0: well, it's always been a super team era it's always well, this is the thing well, hear, me Eric, hear, hear, hear me out
1: hear me out hear me out real quick because the Celtics 0708 they draft a lot of assets they stockpile these assets they flip those assets for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen they then surround KG, Ray, and Pierce with veteran-capable pieces and some young talent, that's second-round talent, Glenn Davis, Leon Poe, etc. They win the title. They have a great five-, six-year run before they trade Pierce and Garnett, of course, to the Nets, stockpile more picks, get more talent, put themselves in a position where they are now to potentially be a player in this. The Lakers... They signed LeBron James, they signed a bunch of one-year deals, they've been developing some young players through the draft. They may want to cash them, cash those chips in, of course, for Anthony Davis as well. So, obviously, it starts with the draft, as you're saying, but a lot of teams are looking at these these talents, these draft assets, these players as the way to go get that superstar. So, same page with the Warriors example, but other teams are using those assets through the draft to go out and create these powerhouse teams with star players. And of course, LeBron with Miami, he went and joined Wade, got Bosch, and we know the pieces that they plugged in around them too. So, you know, the, the, the formula to reach the mountaintop, um, you know, has varied in ways over the years. The team at the mountain now, as you said, they built their core and foundation through the draft. One one title and of course added Durant for the next two and you know aiming for a fourth one with Demarcus Cousins and we all know that situation so you know th- there's 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 different ways to go about this I love thinking about okay if it's not the Lakers with this crop of young players and picks if it's not the Celtics who have so many different options in terms of building a trade package for the Pelicans but anything not including Kyrie Irving, has to wait until July 1st. Then it is interesting looking at the field. And one of those teams in the field is the New York Knicks. And that's an organization, as we know, and I'm not throwing any shade at them as I often do, but they've struggled for a long time. They've got the worst record in the NBA since 2000. They are appearing now to be following the plan what you're saying they have to win through the draft they have to build through the draft to win excuse me and you know coach Fisdale is coaching these guys hard but he's coaching them to the point where they're trying to develop players and they're losing games they've got the worst record in the league they're eyeing that lottery pick they're hoping Kristaps Porzingis can come back you know the the Knicks could enter could enter the fray here instead of me prompting prompting over and over again where you think he's going to end up Um, you know, I, I do love the perspective of how to build that winner and, you know, is Anthony Davis going to be a guy in your opinion that wants to go to a, a team that's ready to make a run as soon as he's inserted or is it about going, is it about going to the right market where they can build around him through young talent in the draft? I I don't know, but it's, it's, it's interesting to hear about and talk about.
0: Yeah, you know, again, you know, as going back to, you know, the teams that you discussed, you know, the Celtics drafted Paul Pierce. They drafted Rondo. Miami drafted Dwayne Wade. You have to have a piece that's what uh, that will allow you to utilize the rules in building a team through the collective bargaining agreement and the rules that it currently exists. You have to have a player that has been drafted, you know. Kyrie Irving was there already in uh, when LeBron came back to, you know, came back to Cleveland. Yep. Um. So, it, it, look, anything is possible, but it's highly unlikely that you can build a team and just doing it through free agency. You got to draft somebody, right? Because you you got to be able to retain these players, and we keep saying we're gonna get other players, but again, from an agent perspective. You know, everyone says they want to win, but no one wants to take the pay cut (laughs) to do it. Right. So it's going to be very hard for me to convince really good players to take the minimum just because you want to win when this other team is offering you X amount of dollars. Sounds good in the press release. But that's not how it really works in my world. Right there's so, not there's not too many, okay. you know there, what I mean? it, it, it right. It, it there's doesn't not really too work. many of those. You there's know? not too many
1: of those capable vet ring chasers out there
0: right
1: today, nah. you know, Eddie House, James Posey, obviously, I'm naming the guys that yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. naming I mean, the guys yeah, that
0: I miss dearly. but um those things sound good. you know, it yeah. sounds great. This guy took le- no one's no one's walking in my office going, "Hey, uh, BJ, I, I want to take less just because I want to win." That, it's very rare does that happen, if at all. Well, in my career, it has never happened. But it sounds good in the press release, and if we can just, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be truth tellers here on the show. Um, so I, I I I I hear you, but at the same time, you know, going back to the Knicks. New York has always been a team in the past that have they've been able to attract free agents, you know. Um, whether they, however, they got the Trail Spreewell and and all of the players that they've had, they've always been able to attract to not go through the process of what we've come to understand now uh, of how to build a team and have long-term sustainability. Right, and then, and then I that, think and then... now the Knicks. But that cost
1: the Knicks. That that That's cost the Knicks now for almost two well, decades. I, 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 don't,
0: I, 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 I would say this about the Knicks, just from a business perspective. You know, Donnie Walsh, who I've dealt with for many years, and I don't know this. I've never spoken to Donnie Walsh, but I'm just looking at the numbers. When they traded for Carmelo Anthony some time ago yep. and what they gave up for Carmelo Anthony, Carmelo was clearly the best player in that trade. Clearly, he was the best player in that trade with uh, the Denver Nuggets, I believe. Yep, two thousand. what they had to give up to get Carmelo Anthony, I think that's what you saw. And I know Donnie Walsh. I've dealt with Donnie Walsh many times when he was at in Indiana. And I, I, I know that was a deal that he clearly understood the financial ramifications of it. Carmelo was a wonderful player but no player is good enough to win in this league by himself, no player. And it's very difficult to build a team where you don't have the assets to put around it so that you can do what we all you know, came to do, which is to try to win games. And it made it very difficult, it made it di- very difficult for Carmelo when he was there in New York, and Carmelo is a wonderful player. He's a Hall of Fame player um had a great career but in the end winning is what separates you from everyone else and that's the one thing that if I had to look at one specific moment that was a big moment on one hand you're getting a wonderful player but in order to get something you got to give up something and they took a chance and you know I Carmelo, I thought, you know, look, he's put up some terrific numbers. It's easy to point the finger for whatever the reason, but that was a huge step for the Nuggets. And then the look what the Nuggets did with those assets as they were able to build and do things. You have to – that's the only way you can build it. Now, whether it was timing or whatever the decision, it's no one's fault. It just is what it is. And I think now as I look at the New York Knicks, if I look at the New York Knicks currently now – and what they're doing, I think what they're doing is spot on. Just the re, – the re, everyone wants to tell me about the results, but no one wants to tell me about the process and, and, and how we go through the process. Right. How do you get The them? process is way more important than the results you're going to get because if you continue in that league to do the right thing every single day and go about your business – eventually your talent is going to allow you to not only win those games, but you got to learn how to lose the games. The, the You said the key word to me with Fisdale and why I'm a fan of him when he was even in, 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 uh, in Miami, sorry, Miami yep. and then he was down Memphis. there in Memphis is because he coaches hard. He's a throwback. Yep. He's a basketball lifer. You know, they're not losing because of, lack of effort they're not losing because they're not prepared they're not losing because they don't have a game plan right now they're losing because they're just inexperienced i mean you don't take porzingis who looks like he's going to be a terrific young player and he, he's not playing and then you start playing rookies and all of the things that they have i mean they, they play hard and that's the first step in this league so as i look at them and i look at their situation and we talk about culture and all of those things yeah it's easy for us to say the Warriors. That's easy because they they have the results. But unfortunately, as an agent, I know the secret of this league, which is every team has the same problems. Winning just covers it up. Winning this, I guarantee you, that the Warriors have the same problems as the Knicks. Except the Warriors win, so we don't talk about it. If the Knicks were winning, we would we would say, well, look, the culture is changing. But that's hard. It's hard to win in this league. as As we talked about earlier, it is very, very, very hard and difficult to win in this league because it takes experience. And as we're drafting these players, we have to remember that they're all the best players are one and done. Many of them didn't even go to college. LeBron James and the Kobe Bryants and those guys, they didn't even go to college. But look at the teams that win in this league. That's why the coaches always covet experienced veteran players because with experience comes the wisdom that's necessary to go out there and execute as you play in high stressful situations. So, yep, and you know, and stick I, with you, that you, process. You can't too. get around you can't get around the process of saying nothing is going to replace the experience that's necessary to win in this league. And these players that we have are young players. I mean, you know, you look at the people that are coming in the, the the I'm willing to bet right now that the probably the top 7 picks in next in this year's draft were probably one, one and done guys. Yep. So what are what what's our fair expectation of a 19-year-old kid playing against Steph Curry or LeBron James? These guys have 10, 11, 12 years experience. I mean, it's not if, fair. If his if his They're name if
1: his name isn't Luka Doncic, it's not there one one yeah but but as you know I think we talked about it last week Luca Doncic different 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 upbringing in the game he's been playing against grown men since since he's
0: 15 years old I mean I've been watching this kid play internationally for like the last what six or seven years I mean so it's a different ball game with him
1: so one quick thing on on you know the mellow analysis and and a lot of people don't remember this and you know, we, we can dedicate a whole episode to all the decisions that the Knicks made incorrectly. But you hit it on the head with the fact that they traded talented, good NBA players to get him, which really hurt their depth. When they had the best shot at signing Carmelo Anthony in free agency that upcoming summer, and they could have kept whichever of those guys they wanted. And they didn't do it. They traded that depth for Carmelo, which I felt was a, a hasty move because they could have brought him in and he wanted to come to New York. It was very obvious. And um, they, of course, jumped the gun and paired him with Amare Stoudemire and it only produced uh, one successful season. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to just uh, throw that in there. So on... Sunday night, uh, old friend of mine, uh, shout out to my buddy, Joey. He, uh, he got some pretty good seats at the garden and we, we went to Nick's heat, uh, on Sunday evening and just had a old friend catch up and even walking in, it didn't even occur to me that, oh, wow, this is part of the, the Dwayne Wade retirement parade. Um, so, you know, I had some, had some great seats behind the, behind the Nick's bench and, you'd just get a kick out of this. Dwayne Wade goes to the scorer's table and this crowd starts erupting like, you know, they've all been Dwayne Wade diehards since he was uh, drafted out of Marquette in uh, in, in 2003. And um, and then Carmelo Anthony is sitting on the baseline and he's given this, this rousing ovation. Um, I just find it really interesting where the New York fan focus and passion is at the, passion is at this point because it's been so long since they had a team that they have identified with and I want to use this as a moment to pivot to something that we didn't get to last week and that's the rivalry that you were a part of in the 90s with the Bulls and the Knicks what was it like going into a jam-packed Madison Square Garden for a big game against the Knicks in the early 90s. Back to the 90s we go. Well the,
0: the, well, the thing that I remember most about those times was one, there were some marvelous, wonderful basketball players, right? Uh, you know, Patrick Ewing, who I, I've known since I was in high school, Charles Oakley um, and the relationships that everyone had, you know, prior to us getting to the game, there was it, the, the, the rivalry was started out of respect. Right. And the respect that we had for those Knicks teams. I mean, was the highest. I mean, Patrick Ewing was the best of the best. I mean, Charles Oakley and, you know, the late Anthony Mason and Derek Harper. And I mean, those were just great great players in their own right um and then of course you had phenomenal coaches I mean you had Pat Riley sitting there versus Phil Jackson so the strategic and the detail that we prepare for those games you know I loved I loved it when we played against great coaches because I had an opportunity to see what Phil Jackson and the staff was going to come up with and how we were going to throw new wrinkles and and I spent I remember when we would play the Knicks during the regular season, we would never run any plays hmm. because we didn't want to give them any opportunity to scout us. I mean, that's how much respect we have for them. We were already preparing to see them during the regular season by not showing anything so Kirk, that they didn't Kirk, have time so to you're, prepare in
1: advance are So you're already thinking about that playoff matchup. You're Absolutely. Pl- you're the, so they, you're playing the Knicks – in December of 91, and you're already saying, okay, we're saving A, B, C, and D so they don't see it live. It's not on tape. Obviously, back then, no league pass. You're not getting every game film of every it, it, team. It was great.
0: And, 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 I, and, I, and I, we would play them sometime on Christmas, and it was always in a big game where we play them. Yep. And I remember, you know, Coach would go up to the board. He, he would erase the board, and he'd go, okay, this game is about two things, effort and energy. That's it. So you'd and run just would, straight, regular we would triangle? We play them in the regular season because it was almost as if we were just gathering information to be prepared for whatever we could potentially throw out. Because Pat Riley was – Pat Riley had a plethora of plays, and they had combinations. They would play Mason at the center, and they would – and we were always trying to figure out ways to play them in a way that would give us an advantage because they were a tough team, they were going to defend and we knew we were going to have to play selfless basketball because they were going to contest every single shot. So um I, I just remember the ch- it was like a chess match. I remember you know us playing and saying, "You know what, we're, let's just see if we just, you know, we would we would we would have these plays. <laughs> I don't know why this is coming back to me now, but we would have these plays where we would we would call these plays reverse action. And most teams would want to reverse the ball from side to side to move the defense. We would want to keep the ball on one side of the floor just to see how they would rotate. (laughs) We would do things like that in the regular season. So we knew how to attack them in the last three to four minutes of a game. So if you ever get a chance to go back, watch how we would always keep Michael on the on the strong side of the ball so that they could never get into rotations. Because we always wanted to isolate John Starks for like two seconds before it before they could get into their rotation. Because defensively, they were so good, they had plays against our offense. And we would do creative things like this that we would only do it at certain times during the game. And I can vividly, as I'm talking, remember Phil hollering and screaming at me saying, B.J., it's not time to run plays yet. And and I can vividly remember him saying, it's not time to go to Michael yet because it wasn't time for us to show them what we really were trying to do. We just wanted to keep the game close enough so that we can get off an uncontested shot late in ball games, And that was the detail in which we played. We We would play the whole game to really play for just those two or three possessions that we needed to beat them because they were that good of a team. So... Um, I don't know why that came back to me, but I can remember – I just had so much respect for them and Pat Riley and Patrick and all of those guys there because they, they – you know, that those were – that was a great era. Um, not because we played the game differently. It was just, it was just a chess match. And it wasn't about – even though it was a physical game, but the things that they were trying to do and what we were trying to do, it was just a battle of wills. And um, every time I see, you know, one of those guys or – pat riley to this day you know we always stop and chat it's it's really funny uh we always chat about those days and what we could have done different to win those games or lose those games but those were great times those new york and bull rivalries
1: so you would legitimately do certain things so you could just figure out their rotations and just bake them into showing their hand essentially so you would know how to handle it in the spring i find that unbelievably fascinating. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, they defensively, I mean, back then you 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 know, you played with hand checking, right? So yep. you had to figure out you 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 learned how to play for space and real estate on the floor. And you know, you don't have to do that as much today because, you know, the physicality of the game is gone, you know. But back then, I had to fight to get open. I mean, literally, you had to you had to fight to get open. So you learned how to fight and put a guy on isolation with one or two seconds. And that's all you really needed. So if you ever watch Jordan play, just watch how efficient he was as a player, as a scorer, because he never dribbled the ball more than three times before he was either at the rim uh, stop and pop or posting up before the double team could come because he realized that these other teams were already into rotation. I mean, his understanding, I would imagine, as a score had to be at a much higher level because he had to play against three or four people. A lot of times he's playing against five people. You know, that's what the Jordan rules and all those things were about. So, how he was able to manage that, manipulate that. With Phil Jackson and the staff and us players figuring it out as well, as I watched the game, it, it was just it was a very sophisticated way of playing. Today is a little different because the three-point shot allows them to have real estate that we just didn't explore at that time. I mean, Steph Curry has made the game. He's expanded the game. Right. right. The, court, um, the court space. The way he plays. The, the, the three-point shot obviously has given these guys a lot of more a lot more space in real estate to operate with.
1: Yeah, the court spacing back then is obviously uh, a lot different and you alluded to this uh, on an earlier show about the triangle which was you know, had its certain strategies on offense but it was, you know, it was a key to your defense because you had you had the guys getting back. So let me let me ask you this because you know, this is my you know, you guys beat the Knicks The year before Riley in the first round, a 3-0 sweep on your way to the first title against the Lakers, Um, I think that's when Jordan had that famous fake hesitation on the baseline and uh, Ewing came over and he just went over the top of him, which was a a very memorable moment. In 92, you had a seven-game series with them in the second round which was very, very memorable, but, you know, people think the 93 Knicks, that was their best team, that was their best shot, and they're up 2-0 on you guys, you go back to Chicago, tie the series, and then you come back to Madison Square Garden for that infamous Game 5, which, of course, ends with Charles Smith being denied multiple times in the paint. And I believe you end up with the ball going down the floor. Correct me if I'm wrong to, to clinch it. But before that, that closing moment, what was the juice like in that building? Because to this day, I throw that game on and I can feel it through the television. I can feel it through Marv Albert's voice. I need to know what that felt like from your perspective with what those stakes were, what that rivalry had turned into and what Madison Square Garden felt like that night.
0: Well, Madison Square Garden was and is still my my favorite arena to play. Um, the energy is electric. Uh, the city. And the, the I, I just think they're very knowledgeable f- basketball fans, right? I, I mean, okay, they're Knicks fans and they're rooting for the Knicks but somewhere down, they have an appreciation for just great basketball. And, you know, uh, the one thing I always appreciate and admire about New Yorkers is, you know, they call you all types of names, right? You know, you, I, I remember we get on the bus and, oh, Armstrong, you suck and da-da-da. And they're spitting at the bus and they're doing all those things. But after the game, they're like, man, it's a great game. And I always respect it. And I still respect that to this day. When I walk in New York and, it, 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 and my my family always ask me, why everyone always talks to you in New York? Like, I will be walking in New York and people always like, i oh, remember those games. And that's how knowledgeable they are. And I always respected that. I always respect the fact that, you know what, when they came there, they, they stick with their team. And um, those were just great, great games the intensity and playing a game where you have to play every possession means something. Every pass means something. I mean, I I just remember how exhausted, you know, we would be or we were after those games and what they take out of you. You know, it's like, you know, I would imagine being like in a heavyweight fight or something where, you know, you got to take this other team's best shot and you know, you have to be able to absorb the physicality of the game all of the mental things that's happening, uh, the adjustments, the crowds, the ups, the downs, and whatever's going on. And you're playing that game to just really get to one possession. One possession may be the difference in winning and losing that game. So uh, the the detail that we would go through to prepare for those games, I, I just remember there was no talking before the game. There was no like celebration after the game because you knew it was gonna take everything that you possibly had in you to, to perform, let alone win those games. And, uh, you know, we were very fortunate to be on the winning side, but those were great teams. And we knew then, and, and I think we all respect, and I think I can speak for the team, is that we respected those teams. And we respected, you know, everything about what those games meant to us and the success we had as an organization, but we also respect our opponents. And, and, and I, I mean that, you know, New York, you know, those guys, Patrick Ewing and those guys, uh, you know, they need to be applauded, you know, because they, those were great teams. They were great competitors. And those were great times for us old guys who had a chance to participate in those games.
1: They really were. And, you know, after after Reggie Lewis passed away, I was tortured growing up in New York as a Celtics fan. I mean, legitimately tortured. And I developed such a dislike for the Knicks, but respected those rivalries. And now we're at the point where it's so many years removed and the Knicks have remained this organization that can't figure it out. And they need to be good again. They need to be good again because it makes the league better. They need to be good again because it makes New York better as a whole. Like There are thousands upon thousands of New Yorkers who will have a better day if the Knicks are winning basketball games, that's how seriously they take
0: the no, NBA sure.
1: and the, and the Knicks. I mean,
0: yeah, they're, I mean they're serious up there. And you know what? You know, it's 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 it's. it's I kind of learned this in New York and and growing up in Detroit. We kind of have the same you know attitude to a certain degree. Is you know New Yorkers they can talk about the Knicks. But the people that, that aren't Knicks fans, you can't talk about the Knicks. <laughs> and all of my friends, all oh, the Knicks, Knicks, Knicks. But as soon as you say something about it, oh, wait a minute, those are my Knicks. Can't, you can't say that. Yeah. And uh, you know what? That's what makes sports great. And it's just a matter of time. You know, you know I think New York, the Knicks currently are on the right path. You know, what they've done with, you know, drafting the kid Knox and and Mitchell Robinson and, and the young players, Emmanuel Moutier that they have, I think they are on the right path. And uh but there's nothing like a playoff game in New York in the springtime. There's nothing like it. And uh like I said, I'm just I know how electric that can be and uh and I would venture to say once they get back to the playoffs, I I would love to be in the building because there's nothing like a, a New York fan in, in, in the spring playing uh, playoff basketball.
1: So as you're waxing this poetry, I mean, the Kristaps the Porzingis uh, wants to be traded alerts are just flying everywhere right now, which who knows, who knows what these sources are, but we'll get to sure. it. Um, but I'm going to make my first confession to you on our show. When I was a media intern, 20, going on 21 years old, so it's the 1999 NBA playoffs, and I am going to the garden with a press pass to sit, watch the game, and then get in that locker room afterward with a, a camera guy and stick that microphone flag in, you know, in, in the scrum, whoever I could. Larry Johnson, Chris Childs. Kurt Thomas, whomever. Being in that building in 99 and never having experienced an NBA playoff atmosphere live for my favorite team up until that point, there was about a week where I was like, wow, so this is what it's like. And, and I wished for a week that I was a Nick fan. and uh, <laughs> Just one week? Just one week. Just one week. When Larry... So it's crazy. I was at game three of the Pacers series... And game five, and obviously I'm rooting for the Pacers, but I'm, I'm quiet. I'm a media intern. I know the rules. Um, you know, I was a college football player, so, you know, I'm working out. I'm in great shape. I know the rules. I'm handling myself properly. But Larry Bird is coaching the Pacers, like, against the Knicks. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living and dying every Pacers possession. But that crowd, and I was at game three and game five, and game four is when LJ had the four-point play and one of my uh close friends from uh, one of my high school teammates we were all very close we did a surprise 21st birthday for him the night of game four and I'm the one that had to get him there so I couldn't go to the game so it was that communal watch when LJ hit the shot and just disbelief and the, the roar of that building and I've been to many Celtics playoff games and I've been to some some big games and Some have been incredible, and others have been, you know, LeBron scoring 45 points in in 2012. But my point is, um, that atmosphere, that spirit, that pride, even for someone that, you know, despised the Knicks as much as I did back then, it made me want to be a fan because there was that connection there. And that needs to happen again in New York because I'm watching the game the other night live. There's no connection. There's no connection. People are more concerned with, you know, you know yelling D Wade's name or you know doing an Instagram video there's no connection with what's going on on the floor and coach Fisdale, I said it before he was hired he's the right guy he's proving that he is through how he coaches and we talked about that but it needs to happen again there and and hopefully we're seeing the beginnings of that
0: yeah you know as I you know at the and this stage of my career in the nba I've, I've had a chance to you know see a lot and and do things if if there if i had a one last run at it as as being an agent it would be is to have a player play in new york city and win a championship there hmm. um I, you know, I I So this could, I, be, I some, this could yeah, be some this won. could
1: be some blind foreshadowing right now.
0: You don't know yeah, who I, that player I, I is. Would, yeah, I would I I don't know who that player is because unlike any other place in the country, LA included, New York is a different beast all into itself. Just the city the the New York City into itself. The pressure and the demands and the spotlight, I think it takes You know i think about it all the time because you know i I, I've, i've i've been fortunate to win as a player i've been fortunate to represent you know most valuable players i've been fortunate to have players play in big cities but unlike new york that's a whole different requirement of of working with someone a young person to get them to understand what they're really walking into you know The NBA in a a smaller market is a different NBA than New York City. And I think that is the challenge that it's gonna take because you need a team of people that can actually help you with this process. And if there's one challenge left in, in my aging career, it would be to have a player there and to see what it would take to actually win a championship there in New York. Because it's, to me, it's the ultimate challenge. Is to be able to win and win there, because there's no other city, to me in the world, like it. There's no other place in the league like it, and the scrutiny of every game <laughs> would be like I, I can't imagine the 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 pressure and duress that it would take to manage that. You know, I would imagine they win ten games in a row, and then suddenly they lose one, and, and the world's coming. Down. You know, the world is about to. <laughs> The sky is falling, you know, so I I think that would probably be my last challenge because I think that's a that's a challenge all into itself.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to the next time you're here because we're going to get a meal. We're going to continue this conversation and we're going to figure out who that young player is going to be and we're going to make that happen.
0: All right, my friend.
1: Awesome. Great job today. The Pure Hoops podcast. We went a little long. But it's, uh, it's frigid in New York, and uh, these conversations, of course, warm my basketball soul. For BJ Armstrong, this is Eric Newman, the Pure Hoops Podcast. Continue to listen, share, subscribe. We appreciate you guys. We're going to keep this going. Thanks all.